and welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. We have a listener of the week, Cheryl McCormick. She's CEO of Athens Area Humane Society in Athens, Georgia. Cheryl is a longtime fan, many, many year fan of nonprofit radio. She blogged about the the podcast once, uh, putting it in her top five. That was years ago. She's been listening a long time. Uh, She was in my Planned Giving Accelerator class, the very first one. Um, In fact, she was the first person to sign up for the very first class. And we finally met in uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, just a couple of weeks ago. And she was so gracious. She took her, her afternoon off to meet with me and we spent hours getting to know each other even better, catching up, learning more. It was just a, a it was a real pleasure to meet this uh, nonprofit radio super fan for many, many years. So Cheryl McCormick, thank you. Thanks for taking all that time to, to, to see me. You're our listener of the week. Also, happy Halloween. Now, that's a week late. Uh, I need an intern to blame because I didn't realize that I mean, I knew Halloween was coming up, but when I was doing the show, I just didn't realize it was going to be published on Halloween day, the 30, you know, obviously 31st. So, um, you know, you're stuck with a lackluster host. What can I say? I hope you enjoyed your Halloween. Well, I'll leave it with that. Uh, I'm doing the best I can without an intern to blame. Hope you enjoyed your Halloween. And I'm glad you're with me because I'd be thrown into arteralgia. If you inflamed me with the painful idea that you missed this week's show, align your money with your goals. There's a dimension to your budgeting you might be missing. Organizing your budget so you know what impact your money is achieving for you and you know the costs connected to your goals. Sarah Olivieri returns to help you course correct. She's the founder of Pivot Ground. On Tony's Take Two, Does this show sound better? We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. It's a genuine pleasure to welcome back Sarah Olivieri. She has over 18 years of nonprofit leadership experience. She was co-founder of the Open Center for Autism, executive director of the Helping Children of War Foundation, and co-author of Lesson Plan a la Carte, Integrated Planning for Students with Special Needs. As the founder and heart behind Pivot Ground, Sarah helps nonprofits become financially sustainable world changers. Her company is at Pivot Ground and at pivotground.com. Sarah, welcome back to Nonprofit Radio. Hey, Tony, it's so great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. And uh, and thank you for sitting through that longer than usual uh, intro to the show. I, I I had to shout out our listener of the week, Cheryl, and then I had to explain why I didn't say happy Halloween next week. So last week. So thank you for s- sitting through that. <laughs> thank you for sitting through that. No um, problem. Now, you know, I pronounced your name Olivieri. You got it. But do you just say Olivieri? No, no, Olivieri. You have Good. It right. Oh, wonderful. Yes. thank you. you. Just lean into the Italian sound. 
People think I'm Italian because I kind of have a little bit of that look, but it's actually from the Jewish side of my family. Um, But, you know, I'm an honorary Italian with an Italian last name. Absolutely. And you want to you want to get every vowel sound in there. So thank you. for Thank you for not doing Oliveri. (laughs) You're welcome. Like like O-L-I-V-E-I or so. No, you got to get the Olivieri. Okay. Olivieri. Olivieri. Sarah (laughs) Olivieri. Yeah. Well, the Sarah kind of I was wondering, Sarah, that doesn't sound Italian. Sarah, not really. But. I understand. All right. So you, you got two great ones, uh, Jewish and Italian. I, I'm i often confused for Jewish people. People, I, I have a look that folks think uh, is a Jewish look. So I don't mind. I, it, we're all suffering under our mothers. That's a, it's, it's all we all we all have the guilt from uh, from mothers. So Jewish or Italian, we share. We have that. We have that bond. Uh, but let's not let's not talk about uh, oppressive mothering. Let's talk about. <laughs> Uh, organizing your budget, organizing your budget so you know what your money is doing for you so that you're aligned with your goals. What, let, let's say high level. What could we be doing better? Yeah. Well, first of all, so many nonprofit leaders are not like money people. They don't have MBAs. They're not like, and their budgets scare them. So if you're listening now and you're like, ah, budgets, like, please no. I want you to know that we can make budgeting fun because high level, your budget is like your financial strategy, right? It's a map that tells you how your money can work and how well it is working, right? So if you like things like having more money next year than you have this year, and if you like things like having incredible financial data to tell these amazing stories about the impact you are making and the impact you could be making, if you like to have money to pay your staff an equitable, you know, fair market value so that they're not overworked and run down and living in poverty themselves. A budget, not just any budget, is your very, very best friend because it's the thing that if you know how to arrange it will unlock the answers to how you get most of those things. Unfortunately, most people's budgets are not telling them those answers right now. And so hopefully we'll be able to demystify that a bit today. We absolutely will. Yes, we're going we're gonna to achieve that hope. All right. So I should have called this budget is your friendly budget. Budget is your budget is fun and friendly. Yes. Right. Budget. Love it's your budget. All right. All right. Love your budget. Love your budget. I love how you're, we're going to demystify and uh, be upbeat about something that could be very uh, dull if we're not doing it right. So, but I can tell that you're doing it right. You, you're, you have an infectious enthusiasm around budgeting. Okay. Um, where should we start? So we, do we need to start with vocabulary or is that? Yeah, is that I think dull? a teeny where, where, bit where, of vocabulary, where? just okay. to make sure that nobody's kind of getting lost in the weeds. Because whenever we talk okay. about budgets, we're starting to bring in a little bit of financial vocabulary. And um, I don't want any to be lost if we're using that language okay. or if you hear it right so um okay yes plus we have jargon jail on right we don't want to be in jargon jail. i would hate for you to be in <laughs> jargon jail when you say you know net profit or something okay <laughs> that's right and right. you know what i want to tell everybody who is ever nervous about budgeting vocabulary is that different people use it in different ways so my number one tip when it comes to vocabulary actually what you write in your budget is define what you mean in the budget because one person's gross 
is not someone else's gross. And these terms, you know, so you're like, oh, what's gross, right? What's net, right? It's not the same for everybody. And you might find yourself in a disagreement about these terms um, and you could both be right and both be wrong. So um, I just encourage you to like really eliminate the jargon and just describe what you're talking about. Define and it, like define it in a footnote or something like that. Define right? it right in the line item. Okay. Right? Just put okay. it right in the line item. So, um, so first of all, most, a lot of the numbers in the budget are either money in numbers or money out numbers, right? So there, now we've eliminated all the jargon, right? Either it's money coming into the bank or it's money going out of the bank. And then we have another set of numbers, which are called assets. Your and assets, that means- right. Assets is the amount of money that you have kind of stored away, right? That it was already put in and stayed in or things that are worth money, right? So if you have property that could be turned into money, stocks that could be turned into money, right? All those things are worth money. And so if it's worth money or is money just sitting around, that's your assets. Back to the money in, money out, right? Money in, we have some terms like revenue, gross revenue, net revenue. Um, these are all ways of talking about our money coming in. And usually money going out is a little easier because we talk about like expenses typically, and there aren't as many words that we throw around to describe expenses. Um, and then the last kind of category that um, I'm just going to call measures for today. These are the most important numbers that are usually missing from most budgets. These are the things like percentages in your budget that tell you how the money is working. And that's where the secret is. And luckily for you is most of these numbers are less than 100. <laughs> so smaller numbers are easy for our brains to like look at and think about. And so looking at percentages, right. telling the story about how our money is working is really, really important. And we can talk in later fact, about what some of those okay. are. In fact, if, uh, if the percentages equal more than 100, then we have a problem. Yes, definitely. You can't have more than 100% of our, of our <laughs> assets or our expenses. Or, okay. All right. So do we need to distinguish between revenue and gross revenue? You mentioned those two. Yeah. So at the end of the day, so you're always going to look at all the money coming in, in a budget. That's usually what we call top line revenue because right. usually right. at the top line of the budget, right? So you want to be thinking about the total amount of money coming in. And then you also want to be thinking about kind of breaking down where the money starts to go out and then how much is left over. So gross and net are terms that to describe how much is left over after certain kinds of expenses come out. So what I want to know is what's my top line revenue? And then after I've paid for my programs um, and especially like money that I wouldn't have to spend if I didn't have that program. So I want to know how much is left over after I paid my program expenses. And then I usually want to also know what's left over if I not only paid my program expenses, but also paid my staffing programmatic expenses. Like how much is left over after that, right? In staff, my just, right. Just staff program expenses. So all the program right. expenses right. and right. the staffing expenses of the program. Staffing expenses of program, but not staffing of other, other functions. Not, not staffing yet. of other functions. Right. Right? We're not there yet. Okay. okay. And then I get this number. Some accountants call it contribution margin. A lot of people have never heard that, but basically it, yeah, it almost jargon. sounds I'm like gonna, uh, contribution margin. Anybody says that I'm putting them in jargon jail. Right. You're like jargon jail. Right. So, but, but what we're talking about is 
how much money is left over after everything came in and you paid for all of your programs, how much money is then contributed to the general operating expenses, which you will never, ever hear me call overhead. I call them operations. And the language we use in budgeting really matters, right? And we all have heard, but just in case somebody missed it, right? Overhead is a good thing. And the reason is is because overhead is operations and operations are critical (laughs) to operating, right? No operations, no operating. It's also investment in potentially future. Yes. Potentially future work. Maybe you're reserving for for a future ambition, for a future purchase, maybe you're reserving. So these are all, you know. Yes, it's 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 absolutely operational, but I also see it as investment for the future. Absolutely. absolutely. And these and that's essential to your sustainability, for God's sake. So if people on your board are complaining that you have a reserve for something, you know, ask them, well, don't you reserve for future for future future recessions? Don't you reserve for future investments and expenditures right. in, in new markets? So please, sir, you know, be quiet. Yes, you should have a reserve. And when you get to the very, very bottom, what people sometimes call the bottom line, at some point, you're going to have a number that if you are a for-profit business, you might label it profit, profit margin. Margin, when we hear that word margin, I don't want you to be scared. It just means how much is left after something else was taken out, right? That's all margin is, right? It means we had money in and we took some money out and then we wanted to know how much, how much pie was left, right? Do we have one slice left? two slices left, you know, that's uh, an what example, margin give an, give an example of something uh, margin. Uh, flesh that out, please. Sure. So, um, your, so we just talked about contribution margin, right? That's how much money is left after we took out program expenses and program okay. labor, right? Perfect. So okay. if we take out all of our expenses, program expenses, labor expenses, operating expenses, everything, what's left at the bottom is also our margin. Some people call that net, but some people put net somewhere else. That's just the total amount of money that's left over after all of our expenses. Now we need that money. And I want to reframe the way we think about that bottom line because people get like really focused on that bottom line. Obviously, you, you don't want to be leaking money every year, year after year. However, it is okay to have less than nothing left over one or two years if you spent that money to invest in something that's going to bring in more money in the future, mm. right? Not everything pays off in one year, right? New staff, uh, new, new staff, right? New staff or building a fundraising department, right? So if you don't have a fundraising department and right, the people, so some people are making money, some people aren't. So then at the very bottom, I want you to realize that, you know, kind of a rule of thumb I use is if the money left over, it needs to be at least equal to inflation, which on average is 3%. So if you don't have 3%, and what do, we, what do we have to define our terms? I'm always telling people to define their terms. So this is where we get into those measures, right? So percentage is the amount of money that's left over, our margin, right, at the very bottom. Yes. Um, and what percentage of that, of the total revenue that came in, right? So if total revenue came in was 100000 right, we want it and we have $10 left, what percentage, you know, is $10 of 
you know, a hundred or a hundred thousand, whatever. So, and you know what, you don't have to know how to do the math because any spreadsheet will do it for you. And I have a template that we can give away where the formulas are already in there. So, um, so, but that way we, we want that bottom, bottom number to always be at least 3%. 3% is the new zero. It's time for a break. Turn to communications. They sent their bi-weekly uh, e-newsletter on message this week, and it had something that I think is uh, interesting. Uh, it's called Three Under-the-Radar Targets for Your PR Pitches. And the three that they suggest are association publications, like trade and professional associations, uh, eager to hear about news uh, regarding one of their members or latest advancements in the field, uh, alumni publications and hometown newspapers. If your pitch is mostly about an individual, consider sending it to... Uh, to uh, alma mater publications and, and hometown newspapers. And the third is e-newsletters. They say you le likely have a few of these in your email inbox right now, like Morning Brew, Good, 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 and The Skim. And these folks publish daily and offer the opportunity to get your news delivered to lots of loyal readers. And they make the point that, you know, this is not the New York Times or the Washington Post or even the Chronicle of Philanthropy, but uh, you'll get uh, some uh, you'll get some coverage, you'll get some exposure, and you can use the uh, use the the content, uh, repurpose it uh, on uh, on your so social channels. So link to it uh, that that way also, and maybe on your blog as well. So it's some coverage, right? I mean, it's not the end all, the be all, but. It's three things that sort of are, as they say, uh, under the radar. And that is turn to communications. Clearly, your story is their mission. Turn hyphen to dot co. Now back to align your money with your goals. Folks in our high inflation period right now that we're living in 2022, yeah. folks may ask, well, should it be higher now? Should it be eight or nine percent? Or should it should you just be sticking with like three to four because that's the average over over a long term and you don't have to worry about an annual fluctuation up or down? How should that be? So I think you know you can go either way. Certainly, if we're going to have high inflation for a while, I'd be wanting more money left over, right? But overall, I want you to be trying to not have zero, right? You if you have so three percent is the new zero. That means you're just treading water. You want to be, or, you know, if we're at 5% inflation, you just, and you're at 5%, you're just treading water. So you really want to be probably, and it will vary per organization. I would want to be at least 10 to 15%. So that means oh. I now have money to invest okay. in next year, right? So if I want more money next year than this year, I have to increase my operations around how I raise money which right. means I have to put money into the money-making machine <laughs> so that it can make more money, right? Your fundraising function is a money-making machine and the fuel is money. You put money into the machine, you put a dollar in and you get a dollar 25 out or a dollar 50 out, or maybe it's even better you get uh, $2 out, right? But if you don't feed the money-making machine money, so that there are people to run it <laughs> um, and, and materials and all the stuff you do to fundraise. 
you won't have more money than next year. All right. All right. Now, some folks are going to say, so uh, I just have to get this little thing out. So you want, so you want us to, rather than treading water, you want us to be doing a strong breaststroke. Yes. Okay. Right. right. Doesn't that sound better? I just felt like extending your metaphor. Yes. That's right. And I, or even go for but, the butterfly if you feel like it. Oh, you could do the butterfly. <laughs> that would be, that would be outstanding. <laughs> now, some folks will say, well, but the, 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 the only way to, well, there's, there are two ways to increase your margin at the end of the year, either increase revenue through feeding the fundraising machine or cut expenses. Yeah. But now if you start so, getting into cutting expenses, what are you, you know, are we just cutting paper clips or are we cutting staff, which could be very detrimental? Yeah. Cutting back on properties where we have outreach, you know, that could be very detrimental. So, so I, just here's, put, I just put words in your mouth. So no, no. no. Right. So I, I like to take all of my expenses and kind of mark them in my budget according to three categories. I like to be silly. I use three icons. I use a heart icon, which means this expense is creating an impact. I use a money bag icon to say this expense is generating money, right? And then I use a picture of a toilet bowl <laughs> to say this money just goes out the door and it doesn't make impact or money, right? And some things make impact and money. And we want a lot of those. If you have an organization that all of your expenses are making impact and money, you're probably very, very healthy financially. So okay. all the ones then with the- that would be a That would be a money bag that's heart-shaped. That's right. Or you can put two icons in the one, you know, in the line. Now, if you start labeling the money bag line items as your revenue generating expenses, if you want more money next year or the year after or tomorrow, you need to increase your revenue generating expenses. If you decrease your revenue generating expenses, what's going to happen? I mean, decrease your revenue. revenue, right? So I think, and once the, those words are so powerful because watch somebody try to cut a revenue generating expense once it's labeled like that, right? They're not going to do it. Now, all of a sudden it makes perfect sense. And I saw this mistake happen at the beginning of the pandemic. I'll never forget the first time I sent out an email to my list at the beginning of the pandemic, I got back all of these like autoresponder emails of people who had were gone because they had been fired. So many nonprofits cut their fundraising staff. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that was like, that's like cutting off your own feet, right? You need to increase. And as true with many, many disasters, you know, it turned out the pandemic was actually quite a good time for fundraising. All of my clients did better financially not worse. And they were investing in revenue generating expenses in a time when they were going to need more revenue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a short time. It was a short term panic. Uh, and unfortunately, there are organizations that well, and uh, for profit as well, corporate as well, that uh, reacted panic wise, you know, knee jerk. And um, and that I, I think in the in the medium to long term, that hurt all those, all those who, who did that. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Rough, so, rough times. Yeah. Well, let's get back to fun things like budgets. <laughs> so here's a big tip when it comes to friend. layout, yeah. right? Or just your fun friend. Remember that. My fun friend. Fun the budget. Friend. Yeah. <laughs> Not a mere friend. This is one of your fun friends. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. We're back to budget. All right. 
So maybe I'll just a little PSA, a little budget advocacy to take us into happy times is I want your budget to be for you, right? The IRS has a version of your numbers that they want to see. And if you get grants, foundations may have a version of a budget that they want to see. But first and foremost, I want you to feel that your budget, the way it's laid out, is a tool for you, the nonprofit leader right? That's what it's there for. This isn't just something we need to throw to other people. And yeah, you can have somebody rewrite it so it satisfies somebody else. But I want you to really love it as the tool for you and lay it out the way it starts to tell you a story. All right. And PSA for budget. budget. That's right. Yay. Oh, that's love your budget. Be the first. Yes. PSA. <laughs> budgets, budgets, are, budgets are people too. That's right. So one of the ways I like to get my budget telling a better story that I don't see anybody doing, and it's so simple, is I like to take all of my fundraising revenue and expenses because your fundraising function is kind of like a business inside a business, right? And I like to move it to the very, very bottom of my spreadsheet. So I have revenue that comes from programs at the top, and then I take out the expenses from the programs, and then I take out the operating expenses, and then I get the true cost without fundraising of my nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And it, might, it very well may be negative. It kind of depends if it's appropriate for your nonprofit to be generating funds from its services. I do, by the way, count um, restricted grants that are for a specific program as program revenue, right? Because if you didn't have the program, you wouldn't have that revenue. That's mm -hmm. how I kind of divide the line. And then, so I get this, this is the true cost. So my nonprofit is negative 200,000 to run all of our programs, right? So we mm -hmm. now know, now we have our true fundraising goal. Our true fundraising goal is, you know, 200,000 plus 3%. That's minimum. minimum. Yeah, well, goal. right. Minimum. Minimum, right? And now, because have you ever been in front of a budget? I bet you've seen this, Tony, where like, you know, you've seen various versions and they're just kind of like monkeying with the fundraising numbers at the top. It's like a game to make the bottom number go zero, right? Like, it's not necessarily based in reality. I've seen that happen on lots of boards, you know, budgets being presented to boards. So now we have the true, you know, a fundraising goal and the true cost of running our nonprofit without fundraising. And then I have this little section where I have fundraising money in revenue, you could call it if you want, but we have the amount of fundraising money coming in. This is unrestricted money and um, and the amount of money going out. Right. So what is our fundraising staffing costs? What are our, you know, marketing expenses, communication expenses all around fundraising? And then I see how much is left over, right? My fundraising margin, if you will, right? This is so this is, do I have $200,000 coming out to match my bottom line? Or let's say if we have 200,000 at the bottom, we want 300,000 out of fundraising. So now I know if it's going to be enough, right? And what do I do if I want more, <laughs> more fundraising money? I got to put you got to feed the machine. You got to feed the machine. You got to put dollars in the machine. And then I also, there's this is where those measures come in. And it's harder to talk about these over the radio, but um, that to 300,000 out, I want to make sure that that's a healthy percentage of how much I put into the machine, right? So I want to know, is my machine working well, right? Do I put a dollar in and get a dollar out? Or do I put a dollar in and get 50 cents out? Now, the truth is, unfortunately, people measure this in different ways. So there isn't like, 
you know, an industry norm that's really well calculated for you to assess on. But certainly, if you're putting a dollar in and getting a dollar out, you're not fundraising, right? That's <laughs> that's zero. That's a total sum of zero. And but what I really want you to watch then is year over year or even month over month, um, is that per, is that percentage increasing? Like so maybe I put a dollar in last year and I got a dollar fifty out. And then this year I put a dollar in and I got a dollar seventy-five out. And then next year I put a dollar in and I got $2 out, right? So double your money is always pretty good. I like to benchmark against some other things like what's the average return on investment, right? There's another jargon term, right? Just means return is how much money comes out of the machine, right? So your return is I put a dollar in and my return is $2 out. So I compare that to the stock market, you know, would we be better off just putting money in the stock market on average compared to our fundraising department? Can they beat Mm -hmm. the average? Mm -hmm. I'd say they should be able to beat the average. Otherwise, just don't have a fundraising department and invest in the stock market, right? Um, So you can kind of benchmark around some other things, but really you want to be investing in and making a healthier and healthier money-making machine. And that percentage says how healthy you are. And and if if the margin is not where you want it to be, I mean, there are other reasons to have fundraising outreach. Sure. Building long-term relationships with uh, corporate funders, individual donors, ultimately, hopefully leading to planned gifts. So there are there are reasons why, as you had said earlier, in the in the short term, your margin may be negative on fundraising. You're, you're working to turn that around as relationships grow, whether right. institutional or individual, uh, as maybe events grow, hopefully you're not too event dependent. If you measure those events, probably their margin is, you know, their percentage is probably much lower than your other activities. Yeah, it gets hard. Events get hard to measure. Then you you should be measuring the staff time that goes into the events. And absolutely. That's where, you know, your bake sale type events are not, uh, not sustainable. Uh, Not certainly not going to sustain your nonprofit. Um, You know, and I think. Okay. So just, you know, I just wanted to Flesh out a little bit when you said, you know, you, you may as well be, be in the stock market if, you're, if your fundraising margin is zero, but you're building towards something. Yes, much, absolutely. Much, much more robust than you're, you're working with now in the, in the immediate term. Okay. And probably you can make your fundraising department work way better than the stock market, especially in the long term. And that goes back to your budget being for you. It does not have to just be an annual budget. In fact, I always encourage organizations to be looking at least three years into the future, right? Like real life doesn't function on the calendar year, right? Like real life things develop over time and they don't have to fit into that 12-month box. That's for the IRS, right? But your real budget should really consider, like, when is a reasonable expectation for us to be seeing that money coming back? When we, you know, it takes the, the, you put the money in the machine, it's not instantaneous. And some things like, you know, used to plan giving, right? Plan giving has a really long timeline. You put the money in the machine and it might take years. It might take 10 years, 20 years, but you could put a dollar in and get like $200,000 out, <laughs> right? Like absolutely huge. Or millions. Yes, absolutely. Um, let, I, I want to get to connecting your, 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 connecting your goals 
to you, yes. to your budget. But I, but I want to make sure, is there anything else that we should talk about around, you know, organizing the budget and seeing the impact of your money before we get, you know, specifically to goals? Yeah, I think just that, you know, just like we talked about, right, that that percentage margin, right? That's the, the percentage of money that's left over compared to how much came in is a number you can use over and over in your budget. That's the number that tells you how well is this working, right? So if you want to know, you know, maybe you have three programs and you want to know, you know, how good is each program at making money? Right. And they don't all have to make money because we're primarily trying to make an impact. But you can then take, say, how much money, you know, does this program bring in and subtract all the program expenses, including the people, and then say what percentage of the money left over compared to the money that it brought in. Right. And then you can say, okay, out of these three programs, program A is great at making money. Program B is so-so at making money and program D just, you know, eats money. <laughs> it, it doesn't bring in any money. It's always in the negative, but that's okay. And then like what we're about to talk about measurement, but we might then say, well, program A is good at making money and it's good at making an impact. So let's do a lot more of program A. Yeah. Program B is so-so at making money. And you know what? It's also so-so at making an impact. Maybe we should consider getting rid of it, right? If it's not really doing either. Yeah. And program D, maybe it's gushing money, but it makes such a big impact. You're like, this is totally worth it for the impact and we can make up the difference with our fundraising. Why do you go A, B, D? Oh, I don't know. A, B, C. I, I'm getting over from COVID. I may still have a little brain fog, <laughs> right? You know? A, B, C. You're a numbers person, not a Not a, not a letters person. person. Numbers person, not alphabet. The alphabet, we'll work on, we'll work on the ABCs and another in the next show. All right. That's right. Okay. Let's connect all this to our goals. Yeah. That, it seems to me that's something that you, you seem to emphasize that folks are not, not aligning the two. You're budgeting with your, your, your costs with your goals. Yeah. So one is like, you know, if you can measure your your money and how well you're making money, right? Where are you able to make money, either in programs or through fundraising? You can line that up now, right? Do you want to expand a program, right? So that's a common goal, right? We want to expand program D, my favorite, or maybe program C, right? Program yeah, bring C back. Bring, bring back bring C. C back. So program C, we love screwed. program C. It's helped 400 people this year, and we really want it to be helping more like 4,000 people people by in the next three years, right? So we want to expand that. So in order to expand that, we need to, you know, how much money are we going to need to expand it, right? And it always costs more to grow than to maintain, right? So if we're expanding, I'm always thinking extra money, extra money, not just the cost to run it. Um, and then we can say, okay, how do we, you know, is this going to generate money as it goes to fund itself, its own expansion? Or do we need to simultaneously be boosting up, you know, improving the fundraising machine so that it can fund this expansion? So now you have kind of, you've connected the finances to the goal and you can start to make decisions like, okay, I don't just need to, right? If you just said, oh, I'm going to write a grant and pay for the expansion of this program. Well, that always sends off red flags for me because I'm like, that program 
if it, I need to know first, if it's not going to pay for itself a hundred percent and its own growth, then I'm going to get the grant. I'm going to launch the program and then the grant's going to end and the program's going to be in trouble. Right. So I know that while the grant might be icing on the cake, I really need to invest in boosting up my fundraising machine, making it more effective, efficient, feeding it more money. I need to be putting money in there so that I can now expand and have another program. So every time, I like to call a mission pie, right? Those are your programs and your money pie. That's your money machine. So every time you want to make more mission pie, you probably also have to grow your money pie capabilities. And so a lot of people don't do that. And then we get like, huge programmatic operating costs and we don't grow our fundraising capabilities simultaneously. So that's one example. It's time for Tony's take two. I think this week's show sounds better. Am I in both of your ears this week instead of only your left ear or both speakers? uh, If you're uh, on your desktop, instead of only your left speaker, pretty sure that I am. And I am sorry about the past many weeks. In August, I upgraded Audacity, which is the program that I use for post-production, like adding intro and outro and these Tony's Take Twos and sponsor messages and cheap red wine, of course. You got you to gotta add cheap red wine, right? That all, that all gets added at the end, uh, later on in post-production so that I'm not interrupting what uh, I... Uh, hope is a valuable conversation with guests, right? No interruptions. I add the stuff later. And something changed in the new version after I upgraded Audacity. I knew what was wrong. I knew it didn't sound right, but I couldn't figure out what the problem was. Uh, and then finally I researched and I, I du- <laughs> experimented and I did find the problem. So now the music is in both ears The talk is in both ears and the problem is fixed. And now things are back to normal. Uh, It had been quite annoying, I know, to listen in one ear, but those days are over. We're, we're, uh, We're now in November and the technology, well, the technology hasn't advanced. The user has caught up with the technology. That's what's happened. So that was annoying as shit as I was listening to it. And I was frustrated, but the frustration is in the past. Brighter days now, starting in November. That is Tony's take two. We've got Buku, but loads more time for Align Your Money With Your Goals with Sarah Olivieri. Share another. Another is around, yeah, around how we tell our donors and ourselves how good of an impact we make and whether or not it's the best way to do it, right? So this is where you're in your budget and in the template I have, it's fully laid out like this. You want to have kind of a, a separate tab. Um, uh, hold on, let me stop. Let's make sure we get this out. Where Where can listeners find the template? We will, let me see if I can tell you the link right now. Um, Is it at pivotground.com? It's at pivotground.com. And I may have- You just click resources or something like that? Yeah, if you click um, free resources from the homepage, if you're following along um, and there are um, 
a few places we can that you'll see have several resources. That's good. On, okay. On so what's can, the template called that we we template is the ultimate nonprofit budget. The um, ultimate nonprofit budget. It's at pivotground.com and yep. click on click on free resources. Yep. And you okay. Will find you it needed there. that. You need that little parenthetical. Okay. Please, <laughs> please continue. I want to make sure folks can find this. Okay. Right. So let's say you know let's deal with, you know, program C again, we'll give it some more love and yeah. we've start to measure its impact. Right. So, and this is tricky, right? There is not a direct correlation oftentimes, especially in human services, measuring impact, you know, we're kind of triangulating. It's not like, Oh, X number of people served. Well, how well did you serve them? Right. Was this like a life-changing service or was this like a, you're not homeless last night <laughs> kind of service. Right. Um, so, but wh however way you can measure it and you can measure it in multiple ways, how many people you served in a day, in a week, right. Um, you can now then take those program costs and say, you know, divide, divide them by how many people you served and find out how, how much it costs to serve one person. And the math is all in the template. So I don't want people to get like nervous about math, but oh, um, there's sorry. lots of examples. So um, now we know. Folks serve, may, be, uh, uh, may be a little uncomfortable with math, but they definitely have their alphabet down. That's right. Which I clear. I'm good with the math, just not with the yeah, alphabet. So. <laughs> Nonprofit radio listeners, very savvy, very savvy group that we have. Right. We have the ABC down. <laughs> we've mastered right. that. Yeah. Recently, but we've mastered it. Okay. <laughs> good for you. And I say <laughs> we, I'm including myself in this. That's right. Uh, we've, That's right. we've mastered the uh, alphabet. We, we can we can rely on that baseline. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So let's say, you know, it costs, you know, $500 to serve one person for one day. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a few things we can do with this number. One, we can tell a fundraising story like, hey, it costs $500 to serve one person for one day. How many people do you want to save? Right? Like, <laughs> um, do you want to save one person, half a person? Right? And we start, I actually just had this conversation with a client the other day. They um, help victims of domestic violence and the real costs of supporting somebody to leave their house. Often it's women who are leaving with an average of two children and leaving everything behind and now have a giant legal battle ahead of them, as well as rebuilding their entire life from scratch. The cost to save a life of a victim of domestic abuse is very, very high. It's in the many hundreds of thousands, right? Mm. Um, so you can start to get a grip on what does the impact you're trying to make cost. So, but besides telling a donor story, you can, and I really think you should, start asking yourself, is there a way we can get the same result with spending less money? Right. Because if we can do that, then we can get that result more and more and more. That's how we begin to scale. That's how we begin to say, OK, last year, one hundred thousand dollars could get this amazing result for 100 people. This year, the same one hundred thousand dollars, because we've changed the way we've designed to get the same result now serves one hundred and fifty people. Right. Isn't it better to serve 150 than 100 as long as the result is just as good? I'm certainly not suggesting we like right, right. on results um, just to save money. Um, that's not what we're talking about. But right. but we really want to ask that question like, you know, and just like we compared to the stock market, right? Like, is this help we're providing that costs this amount of money? What else could we do for that money? You know, does this really make sense? Is that a really good amount of help? And, you know, there's... Um, I think they're called Give Directly. They're a nonprofit that just gives cash 
Um, they serve poor communities, I think, around the world. And they're very good at measuring this kind of thing. And they're always comparing, you know, if we're trying to solve this problem, like, um, you know, starving children in this community, is it more effective to open a soup kitchen <laughs> and start feeding the children? Or is it more effective to just give their parents cash or give the kids cash, right? And again and again, you know what they find is just giving people cash, free and outright, no restrictions, solves the problem at just as well, if not better, for less money than building a whole program. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know those numbers, you're not going to have that answer. There may be an easier way. There may be a better way, but you're not going to know that if you can't start measuring this kind of thing. That's also where uh, investment in technology might be able to make a difference for you mm -hmm. in terms of you know the way you're scheduling, uh, the way you're intaking, you know, maybe maybe your intake folks, to use your client example of domestic violence uh, victims, uh, maybe your intake folks would be better served with tablets than paper, or or laptops than tablets, or you know, or or phones than laptops. So investment in technology may help. Um, investment in processes or be mm -hmm. designing processes. So that takes time. That's that's a lot of introspection. That's a lot of time because again, you know, you, you don't want to you don't want to diminish the impact, and you don't want to treat your your certainly your your beneficiaries as anything less than people deserving respect. So I'm not saying hand them a tablet, but there may be process ways, technology ways, um, maybe different staff organization. But you know, it takes introspection to try yeah. to reduce reduce friction, reduce costs, and, and keep impact the same. And that's where you then get all of your, um, you know, I like to call it kind of like your, your tactical, your, your tactics related to your goals. So the goal is, um, you know, so I, I break goals down into like, what's the outcome that we don't have control over? And then the kind of related goal that we do have control over. So if the outcome goal is we want to now see if we can serve 150 people instead of 100 without spending any more money. And then the thing that you do have control over, well, let's test, let's set a goal to test new technology. Let's set a goal to test new processes. Let's set a goal to work with a consultant to um, improve the way we do intake. Um, and then let's see if these things start to have the, re the, the total impact that we are hoping for. Um, I had that with a, a large client, human service organization, they had like 45 different programs, and they had no central intake process or process to kind of move people between their different programs. They were a mental health organization. And a lot of people needed to go from one service to another. Like maybe first they needed addiction recovery, and then they needed peer support and um, housing support, and then they needed job support, right? So they really needed to be taking a journey, but they didn't have a way to take people on a journey. It was just kind of a free-for-all. The person had to be their own guide. And so we kind of really went through with a fine tooth comb, how do people come in? What service are they coming in for? And then how do we begin to take them on this journey so that, because the more people who go on a complete journey, the better the result is, right? That's how we go from making somebody just not homeless last night 
to making a lifelong impact for someone who now is in stable, consistent housing, has a job and has become self-sufficient and is able to manage their mental health and whatever other issues um, on an ongoing basis. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's um, let's talk. We've we've you've identified some, but let's let's identify some some of these important metrics. Like let's kind of um, I don't mean summarize because we're not necessarily finishing, but I'd like to put them all in sort of one place where people can say, well, these are important metrics for me versus you know versus not so much versus more vanity or less important. Can we identify some of those? Yeah, I think you know all the metrics around how good are we at, right? The metrics that answer how good are we at. So for you, whatever question you want to ask of your budget, right? The budget is like, you know, the secret genie. You want to ask it, how good are we at making money? How good are we at serving, you know, people? How, you know, how efficient are we at it? So um, to kind of summarize, to give you the answers, the budgetary answers, where to find those answers really is, how good are we at making money? Well, you can find that answer per program by taking the income and all the expenses out and then seeing the percentage that's left over, right? And the dollar amount, right? Mm. Having $100,000 left over, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, right? But if we look at percentages, then we can really compare year over year. So we may not know if it's good just by looking at one year, but if it's improving year over year, then we can say, oh, improvement is good. We know that that's good, right? Um, so we can then as, also- as, as a percentage of what, what we're spending on the program. Right, so right? the percentage- as, a, as that percentage. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So the percentage that you're spending of the total amount that's coming in. That's where we yeah. look at percentage. How good are we at fundraising, right? You just look at the total fundraising income, subtract out the fundraising expenses and say what is left over, right? So we can say, how good are we improving? Then we're going to look at that percentage year over year. We can look at that percentage and compare it to other things in the world that make money. And then we can also look at the total dollar amount and answer the question of, are we, is our fundraising machine making enough money? <laughs> to cover our expenses. Right, making enough, yeah. Right, making and enough. So not how good is it, but is it making enough? That's where we start to look at the total dollar amounts. Is it enough? Is it enough? Subsumed in what you just described is the the uh, often cited cost of raising a dollar. Yes, yes. Now, you know, the nonprofit space likes to use that amount. And I think it's helpful because it's kind of very tangible, like, oh, you know, what is your cost to raise a dollar? But I like it less for two reasons compared to the percentage method. Okay. Because um, it's hard to do the reverse math. So if I said like, hey, Tony, like if my cost to raise a dollar is 75 cents, how much money do I need to put in the money machine if I want $250,000? Like, it's just not easy math, right? So um, it starts to get easier if you look at percentages. Also, the for-profit world doesn't really use cost to raise a dollar. They use the percentage return on investment. And so if you want to, because there's lots of other ways to make money. So if you want to compare how good your way of generating money is to another way of generating money, like mm. if you really are asking, like, do we, 
invest in our fundraising machine or do we invest in the stock market, right? Um, that may be a real question at some point and or not for all of your money, but for part of your money. And um, you then, you know, need to have apples to apples, right? And so the percentage is the kind of apple that the for-profit world uses to talk about how good are we at making money. Um, and so it's easier to compare. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, also, you gave me long enough to calculate that uh, <laughs> if, if it costs 75 cents to raise a dollar and we want $200,000, we would need to put $150,000. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> Three quarters. Um, okay. Other other metrics? Uh, this is where we are. M metrics. But, yes. Yeah, metrics. Things we, we should know. Yeah. So, um, so we covered how good are we at doing this? Is it enough? Right. And then when you get into per program, how much does it cost to make a unit of impact? Right. So one person. And I recommend you maybe even kind of when I think about, you know, it's hard to measure impact at nonprofits. But most recently, I kind of like to break it into like levels. Right. Low level impact helps somebody for a few days. Medium level impact like made, you know, a year long type of change and then high level impact, like life changing. And you could have multiple levels. And so you might want to kind of break your levels of impact into that. But, you know, how much does it cost to make one unit of impact? That's one metric, you know, and then is that good, right? Is that, can we do better than that? Um, and there, that's where we need to like compare the cost year over year. Mm -hmm. And we also need to look at um, metrics where we want to think about, are we able to scale this up? Are we able to grow this dramatically? So you mentioned bake sales earlier. Bake sales are highly profitable, typically, right? Like people donate all the food, all the labor, you know, as long as your staff, you know, if it's like a, you know, PTO type bake sale and you get to keep all the profit, right? Cost is almost zero Profit is almost all that money that comes out. That's your profit. That's the margin. If everybody's, right? a, volu if everybody's a volunteer, sure. If everyone's a volunteer. Okay. But if you were to scale up a bake sale to the size of a county fair, not everybody can be a volunteer. You now have to have security and ticketing and a special location that can handle all those people. All of a sudden, our profit, the money coming out of the machine comes way, 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 way down because bake sales are not scalable. You can't grow it to a large amount. You can't just say, you know, $1 in gets me $2 out. Now I'm going to put in $100,000 and get $200,000. No, no. Not if your fundraising machine is a bake sale. Your fundraising machine will break if you try to put, you know, $200,000 in. So you want to be mindful as you look at how good are we at making money with our money machine. You want, and this is same for delivering an impact. You want to be mindful of, would this work if we put 10 times as much in, right? Or if we grew it 10 times as big, would it break or mm. would it work, right? Would we sink the ship? <laughs> would we break the machine? Would we overwhelm it or would it work? And you can ask the same question about your programs, right? You're able to serve 100 people now. Well, what if 200 people showed up at your door? What if 10,000 people showed up at your door? Could you, would you just, you know, 10 times as much or, you know, however many times as much of what you use to, to serve people, right? If you just scale up your machine, will it still work? Not always, right? So you want to be mindful and you may see as you track your budget that how well something is working is getting worse. And you're like, 
but we're doing more and more. Why are we getting worse at making money, let's say? Um, and that's because the thing, your machine needs some tending to because your machine is not designed, you know, to go that fast. It's not designed to work at that level. And so that's another thing we have to be mindful of. Okay. Anything else that we haven't talked about that you you want folks to know about our our new fun friend, our, our budget? <laughs> you know, I think just, you know, in summary, right? The the answers of is this good? Are we improving? Is it enough? It's the same kind of calculation over and over again. And that's why I want you, what I want you to take away is it's not like we have to do a bajillion different kinds of fancy things with our budget. It's the same type of math and it's those same types of questions, but those are very, very powerful questions. Is it enough? Is it getting better? Is it the best thing we could do, right? Those are things that your budget can tell you. And we're basically using the same kind of formulas, the same calculations again and again and again. So it's, it's simple. Once you've done it a couple times, you'll start to see, oh, I can apply this here and I can apply this there. And it becomes relatively easy. Sarah Olivieri, Pivot Ground. Uh, the company is at Pivot Ground and at pivotground.com. You'll find her template and other resources at pivotground.com when you go to free resources. Sarah, thank you very much. Terrific. So well. I, I have a new fun friend. My Not budget. me, the budget. <laughs> My budget. I have two. Well, you're you're a longtime fun friend. <laughs> yes. Thank you again. Next week, corporate funding with Lori Zoss Kraska. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you. Find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn Two Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission, turn-to.co. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein of Brooklyn. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. 